All right, let's open up to the book of Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 4. I really hope I remember how to do this. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. Philippians 4, verse 10. Philippians 4, verse number 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. You see, the Philippians were a very poor bunch. They didn't have much of the world's goods. They lacked the finances to help Paul. And for a while, they couldn't send him any help at all. But now... Uh, they, they found a little bit, so they sent it on. And Paul is rejoicing, not just that he got their physical help, but that they care so much. Now in verse 11, he points out, not that I speak in respect of want. So he says, guys, I'm not, this isn't a sales pitch. I'm not telling you this so that you give me more and more. But here's what he wants us to learn. At the end of verse 11, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. What an outstanding lesson to learn. To learn to be content. The title of my sermon today is Controlling Your Contentment. Controlling Your Contentment. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask God for help. Father, we know that our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it is of you. And Father, I want to thank you for this great privilege, this honor to stand here once again and preach to your people. Lord, for many a, m many a day, many a night, I wondered if this day would come, and it has. And Lord, my soul is full. I'm, I'm filled to overflowing, God, with joy. Thank you, Father, for it. Now, Help me, Lord, use me, get me out of the way so that the Spirit of God can do a work today. Please, please, Father, meet with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the end of verse 11, Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever condition I find my life in, I've learned something. I've learned to be content. Now, the fact that Paul had to learn it that tells me something. It doesn't come naturally. You're going to have to learn it. You know the best way to learn something is to go through it and through it and through it. It's experience is the best teacher, is it not? And Paul had been through enough trouble in life. He had learned to be content. In verse 12, he explains, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Now, abased, that may not be a word you're familiar with. You can think of the basement, right? You're, if you're abased, you have been put in the basement of life. You have been cast down, you've been humiliated, and life is just splat in the valley. He says, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in verse 12, and in all things, I am instructed, it's a lesson he learned, I am instructed both to be full 
and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So regardless of the state, you understand the condition, Paul has learned how to be content. Now this is a word that I think I have underappreciated until recently in my life. The word content is a wonderfully powerful word. If you look in the dictionary, it will tell you this. It is a state of peaceful happiness. It, it calms me down just to read that. A state of, of peaceful happiness. Now, I think these words are somewhat synonymous. Happy, blessed, joy or joyful, content. I think all of these words, they, they move in the same circle. We may use them slightly differently. I, under, I understand that. Some people say happiness is a temporary thing and joy is more of a long-standing thing. And, and I understand what they mean. But the Bible seems to use these words somewhat interchangeably. Let's, let's face it. We all want to be happy. We want to be filled with joy. We want to have a state of peaceful happiness. But we're going to have to learn that. I tried to search through the Bible to get a good biblical definition of content. Here's the best I could come up with. I believe these words draw the most beautiful picture of contentment in the whole Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Doesn't that put you in a state of peaceful happiness just to think about laying down in the green pastures and to hear the bubbling brook going by that just everything seems to calm down. It, it, it calms the chaos that might be going on in your life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I believe is a verse we're all familiar with. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If I were to tell you today that it is possible for you to find a way to be content no matter what's going on in your life. You, your knee-jerk reaction might be to say, that's impossible. <laughs> there is no way. I can't do that. I'm, I'm just not built like that. Paul says to the contrary, and I know verse 13 gets applied to all sorts of things in life, but in the context, Paul says, you know what's possible through Christ? I can be content, no matter if I'm on the top or on the bottom, I can be peacefully happy deep down in my soul. Now, I don't know about you, but me, when I hear verse 13, I know what it says. I can quote it by memory. But until recently, I think my ears hear one thing and my brain tells me something different. Maybe you're like me. You hear the verse, I can do all things through Christ. But the way my brain interprets it is to say, Christ can do all things for me. I don't know what it is about us. We, we read that verse and we go, oh good, I don't have to do something. He can do it. He can do anything. With God all things are possible because he's going to do it. The theme of my sermon and the one point, the one point I want to send you home with today is that your contentment is your responsibility. Your happiness is your responsibility. Ultimately, 
it is your responsibility. I'm not insinuating that outside circumstances do not play a factor. They do. They most certainly do. But ultimately, your happiness, your contentment is your responsibility. And we see that in verse 13. Paul personally says, he he recognizes his personal responsibility and says, I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I'm not alone. I'm not sufficient to be content just by myself. I need help, but it, it can be done. I'm going to give you three A's for an outline. Who's keeping the outline? Juliet, are you keeping the outline? Write these three A's down. Here we go. We have to, in order to obtain this contentment, accept it, adjust our attitude, and then apply what Jesus taught us. Accept it, adjust, and then apply. The reason I've gone ahead and given you the three A's, now if you spell this out right, A-A-A, what does that spell? It's a state of peaceful happiness, right? The reason I've given you those three A's right off the bat is because they're going to overlap. In many ways, when you agree to it, you are adjusting to it. And in the process of adjusting, you will have to apply. So it's hard to see these three things as being separate things, to be very honest with you. So let's work our way through these three A's that I've pointed out. First of all, I believe you need to accept the fact that God does want you to be happy. Seems like an obvious fact, and I think most of you will accept that on someone else's behalf. But when it comes to you, the thought is, wait a minute, yes, I know happiness is possible and God can make her happy and God can make him happy, but not me. I have, ex- I have just the kind of life and the kind of personality I'm not going to be happy. Some people live in this eternal pessimism. When they see the light at the end of the tunnel, they assume it is a train coming to hit them. <laughs> They have yet to accept the fact that God actually has devised a plan to make them happy. So how do you know this? Because when you read through the Bible, you find where Jesus taught. How many of you, how many of you remember what we call the Beatitudes? That's an old English word. Beatitudes simply means the blessings, all right? And in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave the eight Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. The word blessed means happy. He's giving you instructions on how to be happy. He's explaining what it would take. That tells me, if he's teaching me these things for the sake of my contentment, then evidently he wants me to be blessed or happy or content. I have to accept that. I have to acknowledge that this is the will of God. I read verses in the Bible like this, they that will love life, and then it continues on to tell you what type of characteristics a person would have who loves life. But I have found it very often in, this, in these end days in the church, very few people love life. Very few people are taking it upon themselves to find contentment. And I think the the first reason for that is they do not think that it's possible. They have just come to grips with, in their mind, this is as good as my life will ever be, which is not very good. Life stinks. I can't wait for eternity. 
it is possible to go through life with a peaceful happiness deep down in your soul. Now, I think all of you would also agree with this, that life is a balancing act, that there's constantly a balance between chaos and order going on in our life. Is that right? Things that sometimes we create the, the chaos, sometimes it's something from outside of us. Whatever the case is, we find ourselves in a state of panic, in a state of chaos. And when that chaos is there this is where the stress and the anxiety kicks in and you wonder what am I going to do how am I going to handle this I was recently speaking with somebody who has given me a lot of help a lot of great advice and and this person very wise person explained to me this and and deep down I think I knew this but this person explained it in such a way that it just really hit home with me you cannot control how you feel this person said you can, you can control what you think, what you say, and what you do, but you cannot control how you feel. That really hit home, and I, I thought about that for weeks, and I thought, is that true? Am I not able to control how I feel? I, I'm going to make one small adjustment on that. I believe that is a true statement initially. That when something happens, when chaos gets flung at you, your first reaction deep down you really don't have any control over you just need to accept that is how I feel I don't like this I'm angry I'm confused I'm frustrated I'm 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 getting bitter you need to acknowledge that that is how you feel that there is chaos but do not let it stop there you can then take that initial feeling do say or think something that can change the way you feel so ultimately you do control how you feel the initial reaction to the chaos of life that may be something that all of us we're going to struggle with and we may not react properly because we're human and we're fallen and we're sinful but God has given us the responsibility and the instructions we can take it upon ourselves to make some adjustments to the chaos of life so that we can find order and that peaceful happiness, that contentment. The picture in my mind, how many of you would picture your life as stuck in the first part of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2? Now those of you that are laughing know your Bible. You know what that verse says, right? And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. You ever find your life in that state? You ever find yourself going, none of this makes sense? Without form, without void, darkness. I, I don't know which way to go. I, I, I have no light shining on my path. You are in the first part of Genesis 1 verse 2. Now, you need to accept, hey, this is life and God can create order out of this chaos. God does want me to be happy. He wants me to find this contentment deep in my soul. So I'm going to adjust my attitude because what some would do and what I have often done in my life is I look at that without form and voidness and I get frustrated and I get angry and I get bitter at God and I say, why, why would you let this mess happen in my life? Why not change your attitude and look at that darkness look at that without form and voidness a little differently and say what an exciting opportunity to see the hand of God move 
How does Genesis 1 verse 2 end? Anybody tell me? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Somebody help me out. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Well, that's exciting. Kind of like that. You see, you can look at chaos and say, oh, my soul, it's never going to get any better without form and void. Darkness, that's where I'm going to dwell. Don't dwell on that. Just adjust your attitude and say, this is kind of exciting. All the pieces are there. We just have to have the Spirit of God put them in order as He sees fit and we're going to come out with something very beautiful, something we can stand back and God would look at and say, I have done all things well. I have done very good. But you're going to have to adjust your attitude and allow God to give Him enough time to move in your life. You know how the rest of Genesis 1 goes. And God said... And God said, and God said, and the more you hear from God and the more you apply God's words, that chaos little by little gets straightened out and and more and more and more order is found in your life until you get to day seven, you can finally rest. You can can kick back and, and lay down in the green pastures and beside the still waters and say, this is pretty good. Man, God hath done all things well. It's your responsibility to adjust your attitude. Can I show you an example of this? Come to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. We know that there are several biblical characters that went through difficult times in their lives, found themselves in what we would now call a a state of depression, Psalm 42, verse 5. David is one of those characters. Psalm 42, verse 5. Now, Psalm 42, you can find the same wording in many other psalms, but this is a good example. Verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Now, you see the first part of the verse? He is acknowledging I'm cast down. He is abased. The condition he finds himself in is one of chaos, confusion, disorder. What's going on? God, why would you allow Saul to attack me? Why would you uh, allow me to be run away from my home? Why is all of this going on? He encourages himself and says, hope thou in God. He looks, he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a train coming for him. It's the Lord God standing there waiting to get him through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at the end of the verse. For I shall, do you see the uh, future tense? For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In his current circumstance, he cannot see the face of God. That's his countenance. He says, future tense, I shall yet praise him. God is going to get me through this. Do you see in one verse how David adjusted his attitude? Why art thou cast down? He's frustrated, he's bitter, he's angry. And then... By the time he gets to the end of the verse, the, the ink hasn't even dried on, on his complaint. <laughs> By the time he gets to the end of the verse, he says, you know what? If I would just apply what God has said, I know that God's going to get me through this. 
if, if David could borrow from Paul, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I am going to praise him for the help of his countenance. I'm going to see his face one of these days. Whether it's in the next life or in this one, I'm going to get some help. There was an adjustment to his attitude. I'd like to ask you to come back to the New Testament. Find two places, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And also in your other hand, get 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. Second Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 6. And we're, we're actually going to begin reading in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. And Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, and he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can learn to be happy with a godly life, he says that is one of the greatest things you'll ever gain. Learning to be content. I'm not asking you to settle. Now, you might use the term differently, but when I think of settling for things, it's as if you're, you're going to remain grumpy, but take your lumps. Yeah, I, I'm not getting what I want and I'll make do with what I have, but I'm going to complain the whole time about what I wish I had. In my mind, when somebody settles, that's what they do. Now, you may use the word differently. That's fine. I'm not asking you to settle. I'm asking you to look at your situation and say, okay, I can apply what God said, what God promised. I can take advantage of these promises of His, and I can actually be happy in this circumstance. Because I know I'm doing this, whatever this is, your job, your work, your home, family, whatever. I'm doing this God's way. And that's good enough for me. I'm happy with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And for those of you that want a biblical challenge this morning, I dare you to read verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I, I kid you not, when I get to that verse, I say, God, please do not test me on verse 8. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, ooh. God, if it's just food and raiment, that's all I have, and you, and you say that, that there's a way to be content in that, I hope I don't have to learn that lesson. I hope I can just take that one by faith. <laughs> But evidently, there's a way that if somebody seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these things, food and raiment, are promised to that person. And you can be happy knowing that you're doing exactly what Jesus taught you to do. That you have achieved the ultimate goal of being a human being, and that is to operate within the system of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That God rules in your heart. There is no greater honor. There's no greater achievement than to say God rules in my heart. And you can be happy with that. Whew. That's a tough one. Now back to verse 6. Verse 8, that was extra. Verse 6. You see that word contentment? Now, forgive me, I'm going to switch languages on you. I don't do this often, but I believe it illustrates the point very nicely. This 
word contentment comes from a Greek word, autarkeia. I think I'm saying it correctly. If I'm not, you don't know. (laughs) Autarkeia. It only appears twice in the New Testament in this form. There's other related forms, but only twice in the New Testament in this form. One time it's translated as contentment, as you read here. 2 Corinthians 9, turn to that. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Here's the other time that Greek word appears. He says in verse number 8, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all, look at the next word, sufficiency. You know what that word is in Timothy? Contentment. Same Greek word. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I find then a connection between God's sufficiency and my contentment. In Paul's mind, it's synonymous. You know why Paul could be content no matter what condition he was in? Because he was satisfied with Christ. As we just sang now. All my life long, I've been looking for something that would satisfy. Hallelujah, I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. By his grace, I now am saved. Paul found that in God, he, everything he needed was there. Now, I don't know about you. I have said that before. I've made such claims before that God is all I need. But then have you ever found yourself maybe going through a tough time and getting a little bit angry deep down in your soul and bitter and maybe praying with such a, not such a nice attitude and saying, God, if you wanted me to be happy, you could make me happy, but you're not making me happy. I'm miserable. I'm a wreck. And since you're not taking any action to make me happy, this sadness is your fault because all you'd have to do is wiggle your little finger and you could solve my problems and make me happy. So what's this all-sufficient business? If you're all I need, well, come on, bring it on. Bring the mercy. Dump a bucket load of comfort on me. I want to be refreshed. Refresh me, God. Make me happy. Go on, go on, go on. I dare you. I found myself there not too long ago saying, God, this is your fault because you could ultimately fix it. Now, what he did, when I served, when I served that that massive overhand serve, and wham, and I said, it's your fault. He hit the most amazing volley right back at me. He said, nope, it's your problem. Your happiness is your responsibility. I have given you all the things you need to be content, to be peacefully happy. You have to adjust your attitude and start applying and using the things I've put in your life. You need... Rather than looking at what you don't have, look at what you do have, make use of that, and you'll find that you do have all you need to be content. I could not return that volley. (laughs) He's right. I started to look around in my life, and I, I started to say, but God, where's the mercy? And I looked next to me, and there was Christina sitting there. And I said, there's the answer to my prayer. There's the mercy I needed. I said, God, I'm, I'm deflated, I'm, I'm discouraged, I need to be refreshed. And he said, take a look at 
Francois. Take a look at Garrett. Take a look at Audemont. Take a look at this and that and these other people. Look at these people that care about you and that are, that are helping and that are, are pitching in. And all that I needed was all around me. I said, God, I need some joy. I need some happiness. I need, I need to smile. I'd forgotten how to smile. And in came Amy. Just a glowing, beaming ray of sunshine. And I can't help but smile when that little girl's around. God said, you see, here's my problem. Maybe you're like me. You pray for mercy and then you sit there in in a funk, in a bad mood. You go, I want mercy. And I'm not going to be happy until I get it. I'm going to sit right here until I get mercy. And you expect mercy to like fall from the sky and land on your head and wiggle. (laughs) You expect DHL to pull up and, uh-uh, and bring you a box of grace. So th- here's grace. Here you go. You ordered it. God sent it. Here, sign for it. You know, that, that, that's, how we, that's how we approach it. Rather, take a look at Hebrews chapter 13. I, I found myself looking around in my life going, where's the mercy, where's the grace, the help, the refreshing, the happiness, the cheer, the joy, where is it, God? And it was all around me, but my my bitterness had blinded me to it. I had determined that I wasn't going to be happy. So first I had to accept it, then I needed to adjust my attitude. Instead of focusing on what I thought I didn't have, focus on what I do have. Hebrews 13, look at verse 5. He says, let your conversation, that's your way of living, let your conversation be without what? Say the next word. Covetousness. What's that? Looking at at what you don't have, saying, but I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I'm not going to be happy until I get. That's covetousness. Let your conversation be without covetousness. All right, so what's the opposite of being uh, covetous? And be content with such things as you have all right God but what do I have he tells you at the end of the verse for he hath said I will never leave thee I will never forsake thee I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee that's what you have look at the next verse so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what man shall do unto me turns out God has provided sufficiently because he's provided himself and it's not that God comes down just plops on you from heaven he doesn't come in a DHL box God has members of his body all around you he's put these people in your life to provide those various things you need to get you through now you must apply it accept that it's possible adjust your attitude and then apply what he's given you many of you you're coming back for university classes can I just remind you that those books will not read themselves no matter how long you stare at it. (laughs) Until you start turning pages, you're not going to make any headway. Some of you have big projects at work. Those those jobs are not going to finish themselves. 
you realize that in life you do have to take upon yourself some responsibility and say, I've got to do something about this. Thank God you're not alone when you do it. Thank God that you can do all those things through Christ. We, we started off in Philippians chapter 4. Do you guys remember what's in that chapter? Verse number, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Paul, what do you mean? I, I, I shouldn't stress out about anything? He says, yep, that's right. You need to learn to be content. How do I do that? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ, through Christ Jesus. How do I know that I'm going to get through this? Because Christ Jesus has promised that he will provide whatever's necessary. Do you know what you find at the end of Philippians 4, verse 19? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is going, your sufficiency is there. Everything you need to be content is there. You just have to apply it. Whether it's the class, the job, the home, or your own happiness, it is ultimately your responsibility. God has done everything necessary so that you can be blessed, that is, happy. Think of this verse here. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. David describes what a blessed man does. First he says, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't live his life according to the wicked. What he does do is he meditates in the law day and night. You know what he does? He says, all right, things aren't going well. I got a lot of chaos in my life. Now, what does God tell me to do about that? How do I fix that? In order to preach this sermon, I wanted to practice it first. Now, I'd like to say that I do that with all my sermons to some extent, but this one, more than others, I have made a very great effort because I... And you know this. I'm given to exaggerating my pessimism. I don't see that light at the end of the tunnel as a train. I see it as an army of trains <laughs> with my name written on them. I'm given to that. And, and when I fall into a funk, man, I just tend to keep falling. So I, I purposely set out to, to see if this works. And every time I found myself going down that dark path, walking through the valley of shadow of death, I, I thought, let me pull out the teachings of Jesus and see if it works. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. I, I, every time I'm in a bad mood, every time I'm starting to see life as hopeless, I'm going to go through the list and see where I'm lacking, make some adjustments, apply it, and see if it makes me happy. It hasn't failed one time. Every time that I applied, I, I went through the list and I, I found in there, I said, yep, that's where I'm lacking. I'm not doing that. I had to cut myself enough slack, give myself enough time.
time to make the adjustment, to change, and sure enough, the contentment, the, the peaceful happiness settled into my soul in due time. I was able to calm down and realize, you know what? That's not a train coming at me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That, that light at the end of the tunnel, that's the Lord waiting on the other side of the darkness. He's, he's, he's giving me a light for my path. Isn't that what he said? Thy word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's the light for my path. That's not the train coming to destroy me. This bit of darkness, this chaos, this is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move and put my life in better order. And once you believe that, all of a sudden the contentment, the calm, the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to settle deep within your soul. And before too long, you're going to be talking like the Apostle Paul. You're going to say things like this. Therefore, he says, I rejoice in my infirmities. I, I'm glad about my reproaches and necessities for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Why? Because I'm not trusting my own sufficiency. I have to trust God's sufficiency. I have to go by what he said. These problems push me closer to him and thank God for that. Controlling your contentment is your responsibility. God has provided the necessary elements so that you can be content. I'll leave you with one verse and then we're done. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Those nasty, stinky, dirty feet. You realize back in the day, they had them sandals that they wore everywhere. And it's not like Jerusalem and Israel had paved roads. A lot of dirt These are some nasty feet. Do you know whose feet are represented here? Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet. You know what Jesus is doing? He's, he's fulfilling his own words, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. So he washes their feet. You know, Peter gives them a little bit of trouble. says, oh, no, no, Lord, listen, I, I, you're the Lord, I'm the servant. This is not right. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, listen, if I don't get to wash your feet, then you don't have any part with me. He says, oh, well, then wash the whole thing then, man. I mean, I, hey, I'm all yours if that's what it takes. You see, first, b before you can help others find happiness, contentment, and the love of God, you have to let God love you. You have to let him minister to you. Jesus washed their feet and he said, listen, I, I've taught you something today. What did Paul say? I've learned. Jesus said, I've taught you something today. I've given you an example, not an ordinance. The foot washing is not a church ordinance. It's an example. I, your master and Lord, I'm able to humble myself and help you and serve you. He said, now I've given you this example so that you can go do it for others. Even though you have a highly regarded position as apostle, your job is to be a servant to other servants. Now watch what he said in verse 17. If ye know these things, there's the acceptance and the adjustment. Watch the application. Happy are ye 
if ye do them. I'm not so much preaching on the doing this morning as I am on the if in that verse. When Jesus said, happy are ye if, it's conditioned on you doing something about it. The responsibility is yours. You can control your contentment. It's going to take an active, I don't want to say aggressive, that's the wrong word, but an active and a genuine effort of applying what God has provided in your life. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed. I'd like to give you a moment to reflect on this. For years, centuries, martyrs would lay down their life for the sake of Christ and they would do so with a smile. And that happiness would mystify the soldiers killing those Christians. How can they be so peacefully happy in the face of persecution? Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall persecute you. Leap for joy in that day. Those martyrs applied what Jesus taught. Do you see how Jesus is sufficient? His teaching, His grace, His presence will be right there with you. But you have to accept it. You have to adjust. You have to apply it. I'll show you how this works on a very simple, in, in a simple way. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. That is the payment necessary for you to have eternal life. Did you know you're not saved just because he died? You have to accept it. You have to apply it. It's not enough to say, yes, he did. Yes, he died. You, you have to accept that, lean on that, and apply it. If you're here today and you're stuck in bitterness and frustration and you just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, starting today and going throughout this week, Make it your mission to do something about finding contentment. Find out what Jesus said about your life. What needs to change so that you can be happy? I think we sing that song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Each time that I have tried to apply these things, you have never let me down. I am surprised, Lord, at how easily I can slip back into the wrong attitude. Thank you for your long suffering, for being patient. And Lord, I pray that you'd help these folks. 
Help them, just as Paul learned to be content, help them to learn, regardless of their circumstance, that they can apply what you've done, what you've said, and be happy. And Lord, if somebody here is not saved, please grab a hold of that person's soul. And before they leave, might they know personally the joy that comes with repentance. Father, I thank you again for the honor of standing in your pulpit and preaching to your people. This is a great privilege. I pray that you walk with us throughout the rest of this day. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.